Well, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 together. This morning, we are continuing our sermon series, In the Beginning, God. Over the past several weeks, we have looked at the importance of recognizing that God is the creator and that he spoke all things into existence. In fact, what we've done every Sunday in this sermon series is we have, we have said out loud Genesis 1-1 together. So let's do that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke everything into existence. He is the beginning and the end the Alpha and the Omega. Our message title this morning is Paradise Lost. Over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at the first marriage. We looked at um, a marriage literally made in paradise. And now this morning, we're going to look at Paradise Lost. Now, some of you last week were here. I know that we got some visitors this morning. Some of you weren't able to be here last week. But for those that were here, I gave you some homework. Okay, and that homework was I wanted you to go home and 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 well, first you had to think to yourself, you had to rate your marriage between a one and a ten, and then you were to go home and talk with your spouse about the number that you came up with and ways that you could take that number from where it's at and move it to the next number. So if you were a nine in this room, you have to work on becoming a ten. If you are a one in this room then your goal is to become a two, then a three, and then just work at that. Um, So hopefully you were able to do that. Hopefully you did your homework. If you didn't, it's not too late. Work on it this week. Now, we know there was no perfect marriage, but there was one marriage that in its infancy was absolutely perfect. So this morning, we're going to see that one once perfect marriage become perfect imperfect. Our message point is this, understanding temptation is the key to overcoming it. What we know is the devil is real, isn't he? He is active in this world. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. The devil is out to destroy us He is out to destroy our families. He's out to destroy our kids. He's out to destroy our world. And if you want to get um, honest this morning, he's doing a pretty good job, isn't he? We read in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9 about the devil. We read, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout this world. Notice our first point this morning. It is this, the devil's deception. So beginning in verse 1, we're going to just kind of break this passage of Scripture up as we walk through it, but we're going to read verses 1 through 3 to begin with. We read these words. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, do not... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Let me begin this morning by saying, if you think that you are above giving in to temptation, 
you are not. Be careful when you say, that would never happen to me. We hope and pray that it will never happen to us, and there are certainly safeguards that we can put in place to prevent it from happening happening to us, but if we think that it will not happen to us because we're some super Christian, then, then we need to do some reevaluating, don't we? In Genesis 3, we find the perfect creation of God, Adam and Eve, the first of God's creation being tempted by the serpent. Now, we often think that the devil is some um, colorful cartoon character that often sits up on our shoulders wearing red with a pitchfork in his hand. If you remember back in the day watching cartoons, that's how the devil was, was depicted, right? But we know that the devil is not just some little red cartoon character that's on our shoulder. The devil is crafty, as we are told in this passage of Scripture. The devil can masquerade as a very pretty, enlightening being. The devil, we are told, is a roaring lion. He is a ferocious beast of the field, constantly preying on us and waiting for that perfect opportunity to pounce upon us. He tries to suck us in by drawing our attention toward a beautiful woman or a handsome man or a, a, a fast car or maybe a lucrative um, financial position. In verse 1, we are told that he is a snake and he is crafty. The first thing the devil did is he tried to get Eve to question what God had actually say, said. So we see here one question is asked, and the devil asked Eve, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? Right here, the devil gets into Eve's head, doesn't he? And he tries to get her to doubt God's word. Did God actually say that? God did not say they were not allowed to eat from any tree. He said they were not allowed to eat from one tree. There was one restriction placed upon Adam and Eve. There were not 10 restrictions. There were not 100 restrictions. There were not 1,000 restrictions. There was one restriction placed upon them. And that restriction was they were not allowed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In fact, in Genesis 2, 15 through 17, we read these words. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Do you ever wonder why the devil appeared to Eve and not to Adam? Some would say that it's because Eve was the weaker vessel. The woman was the weaker of the two. I believe um, that the devil appeared to Eve because she was not the one who heard directly from God. The devil chose Eve because it's sometimes easier to deceive the person that hears something secondhand as opposed to the person that hears it directly, right? You can always kind of play the, the ignorant game if you didn't hear directly from the person. Well, I didn't hear that. Well, they didn't tell me like that. Y'all remember growing up um, playing the, I think it's called the telephone game, where you would get, it, it happened in school a lot, maybe, um, you know, at recess or PE or maybe in an English class. You lined everybody up in a straight line, and then the teach, 
teacher would say a phrase to the first person. And then that person would try to repeat exactly that phrase to the next person and then to the next person all the way down the line. And when you get down here to that last person, that person was to tell everyone what the teacher started with. Y'all remember that game? Did you ever hear this person here say exactly what the teacher said? No, because sometimes things get lost in translation. And I think that's exactly what happened with, with, with Adam and Eve. Man, Eve heard something secondhand, and so the devil pounced on her first. What Satan did with Eve is the same thing that he has been doing since the beginning of time. He got her to question the Word of God. He got her to question if what she heard was actually what God said. You and I have the power and the God-given ability to resist the devil and he will flee is what we're told in James chapter 4. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Eve did not tell the devil to get behind her, did she? She entertained the question which would eventually lead um, her into committing that first sin. Notice next the devil's lie. In verses 4 and 5 we read, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Again, the devil always challenges the authority of God's word. That is why it is so important that we do not allow what we hear and learn in this room or in our growth group rooms be all the word of God that we get during the week. We need to take what we learn in this room and, and, and we need to study what we learn in this room and, and, and build upon it as well as our growth group rooms. But this can't be all we get. If this is all the word of God you get over the course of your week, then there's a very, 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 very good chance that you're going to find yourself in the exact same place Adam and Eve were in. When they were tempted, what did they do? They gave in to that temptation. Jesus said in John 10.10 of the devil that he is a thief and he is out to steal, kill, and destroy. That's exactly what the devil started doing with Adam and Eve in the beginning, and he's still doing that today. What Satan does is he takes the authority of God's word and he puts a question mark where a period already exists. The devil tells Eve, you will not surely die. Notice what the devil does. He plants seeds of doubt. What Satan often does is he plants seeds of doubt that have future ramifications but may not have immediate consequences. Satan wants us to get caught up in the passion of the moment and enjoy the temporary pleasures of sin, doesn't he? If it feels good, then how can this be wrong? Notice next, the devil attempts to get us to question the badness of sin. In verse 5, we read, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God tells them bad things would come if they eat it. The devil tells them, no, good things will come. What the devil does is he flips that around and makes it appear to be a good thing for them to be able to know 
good and evil. How many times have you bought into the devil's lie where you have justified a lie by saying, hey, this is only a white lie? Or maybe you're like me, unfortunately, you've got a little bit heavy foot and, and you can justify somehow, some way, I'm only going two miles over or three miles over the speed limit. Or you may say, it's okay to look as long as I don't touch. Or if it feels good, then how can this be wrong? The devil plants these seeds of doubt in our mind, doesn't he? Sin is enticing. The devil knows how to prettify it, place a cherry on top, and suck us into it, doesn't he? Here's the thing about what Satan said. Satan presented Eve with two lies. The first lie would they would not die. What the devil is telling Eve here is that disobedience is not all that bad. The outcome of your sin is not really as bad as what God is telling you. He wants us to believe that we can sin and get away with it, doesn't he? I have often told people that your sin or our sin will always catch up to us. What we attempt to do in the dark will always be brought um, to, 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 into fruition through the light. It will always be exposed by the light. The consequences for eating of the forbidden tree was death. Satan's lie was that they would not die. And we know that they did not die immediately, did they? Because we're told Adam went on to live to be 920-something years old, I believe. They did not experience physical death in that moment, but what they did experience was spiritual death. At that moment, because of their sin, their relationship with God was affected, and their relationship with one another was affected. Just like when we sin, man, there, 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 there is a wedge that is placed between us and those that we have sinned against, right? As well as with God. The next lie the devil told Eve was this, that she could become like God. That lie is the very lie that got Satan kicked out of heaven, right? We read in Isaiah 14, 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. One writer said this, the goal of becoming God is at the center of almost every single religion. And, and this, uh, this writer actually um, it, it, it especially talks about Mormonism. Think about Mormonism for just a moment. If you live a good life here, and you're a Mormon pretty much all the days of your life, then when you die, you're going to get your own planet to populate. And not only do you get your own planet, but you get to pick your wife that's going to help you populate that planet as well. Do not ever buy into the lie that Mormonism is like Christianity or even a branch of Christianity. The name of the church may say the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but even their own leadership 
makes it very, very clear that the Jesus they believe in is not the Jesus we believe in. They believe that Jesus was created just like every single one of us in this room. But we know that Jesus is the second of the Trinity. We also know that he was present at creation and he has always existed. Satan is a liar. Satan is a thief. And he is out to destroy us and this world. Notice next, the devil leads us into pleasure, but never tells us about the pain. In verse 6 we read, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that there was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Again, the devil leads us into pleasure, but never tells us about the pain. We know that sin is attractive, isn't it? The first thing we are told is that the tree was good for food. Now, for a man, we, we know this. Usually, the way to our heart is through food, right? But for Eve, that kind of, she was the first one that kind of put that into practice, wasn't she? Um, she would ultimately not only eat from the forbidden tree, but she would also share it with her husband. Next, we see that the tree was also a delight to the eyes. You ever hear the, the expression, he or she is eye candy? Man, some of you may have said that about your spouse. Um, what does that mean? It means something that is pleasing to look at. The tree was pretty on the eyes. You know what the devil is good at? He is good at making things attractive, isn't he? You know what he often does? He often um, rarely puts something ugly in our way to tempt us, right? How many of you have ever been tempted by something ugly? Doesn't happen very often, right? It's usually we're tempted by that which is pretty, that which is beautiful, that which is easy on the eyes. Notice next, sin promises satisfaction. The tree was to be desired to make one wise. Let me ask you a question. Is knowing everything a good thing? If you knew absolutely everything, do you think that would be a good thing? I think it would be more of a curse than it was, than it would be good. And I think Adam and Eve quickly realized that as well. What Eve did is she listened to the created instead of the creator, which would result in Adam and Eve falling into temptation. They rationalized their sin just as every single person in this room has done. In 1 John 2, 15 through 16, we read, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Eve would give in to the lust of the flesh, to the desire of the eyes and the pride of life. Not only would she give in, okay, but Adam gave in as well. We are told that Adam is actually present with Eve at this moment. In verse 6 again we read, She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Was he with her from the beginning? We don't know. Doesn't tell us that, but what we do know is that Adam was right there with her at this moment. So what does that tell us? It tells us this, not only did Eve tell the, not tell the devil to get behind her, but Adam didn't tell the devil to get behind him. Adam didn't correct 
um, Eve or the devil and say, no, God said this is forbidden. What did both of them do? Man, they took of that fruit and they ate. You know, I, I was having some fun with my wife um, this week, and I also had a little bit of fun with Debbie Johnson this week, or not this week, yesterday. Um, I, I turned to my wife, and, and I did this multiple times during the week, and I asked her, <clears throat> or I didn't ask, I, I said, you know, I blame Eve for the destruction of mankind. She didn't like me saying that. Um, she said, it wasn't Eve's fault, it was Adam's fault. And I'm like, no, it was Eve. Eve was the one that took of the fruit first. And we went back and forth, and I really had fun debating with her there. A few weeks ago, um, Stephen Freeman's dad was at church, and he said this. He said, if the Garden of Eden was in Louisiana, they would have eaten the snake instead of the apple. There may be some truth to that. Who is to blame? Ultimately, they both were. But don't forget, Adam was the one given the instruction to not eat of the tree, and yet he ate. Adam was the one that God instructed to lead, and yet he followed. I promise you that if you do not lead your family, men, the devil will, won't he? Notice what happens next. God confronts Adam and Eve. Following their sin, we are told that their eyes were opened. They would see the world in a whole new light. Not only did they recognize their nakedness, but they also recognized that they could not be in the very presence of, of, of God anymore. So they hid themselves. They would see the world again in a whole new light, and it would prove to not be a good thing. As the devil said it would be, but when they ate, they realized that it wasn't. Notice the consequences of sin. Sin leads to shame. In verse 7 we read, Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Adam and Eve got what they thought they wanted, but soon realized it was a catastrophic mistake. Sin leads us towards false promises and robs from us what we can never ever get back. Adam and Eve were innocent in the very presence of God and one another, but in an instant that innocence was robbed, was taken from them, and it would be something they could never ever get back. Our sin also robs us of the innocence that God intended for us. Even King David would recognize this. In Psalm 40 verse 12 we read, for, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Do you ever find yourself, after you've committed a sin, being ashamed of what you did? I think all of us probably have been there. Have you ever confronted your child when they have sinned? What do they do, man, our grandchild? What do they do? Do they look you right in the eyes? No, they often put their head down because they're ashamed, right? That's what sin does. Sin makes us shameful. We cannot even look into the eye of those that we have wronged or offended. Notice that sin leads to separation. In verses 8 through 10, we read, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden 
in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. As soon as Adam and Eve heard the voice of God, they immediately tried to escape from God by hiding themselves. As sinners, we often do the same thing, don't we? We often um, um, cover up our sins by lying about our sins or running from our sins. And so Adam and Eve, man, they're trying to hide from their sins. But you can't ever outrun God, can you? God will always um, find you. Your sin will always be revealed again by the light. We also tend to play the blame game when we sin, don't we? Sin leads to blame. Verses 11 through 13 we read, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Sin not only brings shame and separation, but it also causes us to point the finger, doesn't it? Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. We've all been there where we played the blame game or we've heard our children or maybe you've heard your grandchildren or someone else's kids play the blame game. They made me do it or they did it, and I just went along with it. And we often like to say, well, if they were going to jump off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff with, with them? Connor would say no. Caitlin would say yeah. Um, so a little bit of a different perspective there. You may, have heard, um, you may have heard out of the mouth of your parents or even your spouse play the blame game. You made me do this. You are to blame for my drinking, or my affair, or our divorce, or um, me losing my job, or our bank account being empty. You fill in the blank. Blame game has been happening since the beginning of time. Nothing has changed since that first sin. We still are quick to blame others instead of taking responsibilities ourselves. Regardless, our sin, like Adam and Eve's, has consequences. Next week, we're going to really focus in on the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin and how it has affected us. But what we know is that their sin resulted in their banishment from the Garden of Eden. They would experience pain through work in the ground and pain in childbirth. Yes, sin has consequences. But even in the midst of our sin, God is still seeking us out and leading us toward repentance, isn't he? Adam and Eve, with them, after they sinned, God could have easily done one of two things. He could have immediately kicked them out of the garden, placed those angels there at the gate of the garden, or God could have easily wiped out creation and started over. But he didn't, did he? There were consequences for the sin, but there would also be grace demonstrated toward man and woman in the midst of their sin. All of us in this room, as a result of that first sin, are born sinners. We're told in Romans 3.23 that the wages are, are for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in this room have sinned. If you think you're perfect, then let's talk after church because I'll promise you 
you're not. Okay, if you think you're perfect, you're already lying to yourself because we're told in God's word that every single one of us are born into sin. We're born sinners. No one had to teach you to sin either. You, 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 you mastered that maybe even before you ever said your first word. You were born a sinner and into sin, and the Bible makes it clear that the consequences for our sin is death. We read up here, for the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is physical and spiritual death as a result of our sin. But because of what Jesus Christ did for us by coming and dying on the cross for our sins after living a perfect life and rising to life again, we are assured that we can receive the free gift of God which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord when we enter into a faith relationship with him. Do you know Jesus this morning? If you were to die today, do you know for certain where you would spend eternity? If you do not know, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. I'm going to be standing here over the, um, to the side, and I would love to pray with you. I'd love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But as we close, um, I want to encourage all of us to be on our guard because Satan is out, and we know this, he is out to attack our families. He is out to attack you in your singleness. He tries to attack us when we tend to be isolated from others. He attacks us when things are going good. He attacks us when things are going bad. He gets us to question God in his word, and Satan, he makes promises that he cannot keep, doesn't he? Our response needs to be prayer. We need to be people of prayer. Prayer needs to be what we do every single day, asking the Lord to protect us from, you know, in, in, in Ephesians, we're told to put on the full armor of God. One of the reasons that we put on the full armor of God is so that we can be protected from those fiery darts that Satan hurls our way. Every single day, Satan is, is, is shooting um, fiery darts at us. He's trying to get us to fall. He's trying to lead us into temptation. So we need to be prayed up. We also need to be studied up. We need to make sure that personal discipleship is a part of our day and our week. We need to study the Word. We need to um, hide the Word in our hearts. And we need to put the Word into practice. We also need um, accountability partners, people that we can turn to when we are struggling and say, hey, man, I'm struggling in this area. Will you pray for me and with me? We need to learn to resist the devil when he attacks. And we also must put safeguards in place to prevent ourselves from committing habitual sins. It's one thing to commit a sin once and recognize our wrong and get on the other side of it. But it's another thing to continue to repeat the same sin over and over and over <clears throat> so what do we do in moments like that? We put safeguards in place to make sure that we don't fall into that same sin trap again. We have this promise in God's Word. In, 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 in 1 Corinthians, we read, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation... He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We all will be tempted, but there is not a single person in this room that has to give in to that temptation. 
when that temptation comes, God has already promised us a way out. How do we get out of that temptation? Well, well, we find ourselves prayed up, studied up. We, 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 we make sure that there is a way of escape. We don't go to places that we know we're going to fall into the, the sin trap, right? We avoid places like that. God is not going to tempt you if you avoid that particular area, right? God will always provide a way out. That is a promise that we have in Scripture. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer this morning. And I know that this is a lot that we've walked through. But if there's a decision you need to make, I'm going to be standing here over, over to the side, and I'd love to share with you more about how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus. Or if you need prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Let's stand together, and then let's pray. Father God, we come before you now this morning just thanking you again for the opportunity, Lord, just to be in your house, to, to study your word. Father, I know that this is a heavy message. There's a lot to this message. But Father, this is an important message because all of us in this room need to be aware that the devil is, is, is just as active today as he was um, in the Garden of Eden. And every single one of us in this room are in danger of falling into the traps that the devil sets before us. If he could get the perfect of your creation, Adam and Eve, to commit a sin, he certainly can do that to us. So help us, Father, place safeguards in our way to prevent us from falling into your trap. Now, Lord, I know that all of us in this room are sinners. Every single day we commit sin. Every single day we fall short of your your intended plan for our life. And so, Father, I hope we always find ourselves asking you to forgive us of our sins. Father, I thank you, Lord, at the moment of our salvation for taking our sin and removing it as far as the east is from the west. And so, Father, I pray this morning if there's someone that is yet to experience the forgiveness of their sins, they have yet to turn to you in faith, I pray that today they'll make the greatest decisions they could ever make.